Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 295. Today is August 14th, 2019. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, the markets are all in disarray. The S&P 500 dropped 3% today. Is the sky falling or is this a buying opportunity? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about in this episode. So let's get right into it. Today, I want to tell you not only about where I think the buying opportunity may be, but I want to run through chronologically what's happened over the past couple weeks, review the ups and downs, and then I'll wrap up by telling you where I think the buy point is, and I'll give you the rationale for that. Now, to kill the plot and some of the drama here, I'll give you a heads up that what I think today isn't any different than what I said early last week. And what I said early last week Looked like maybe I was wrong, maybe a little bit too negative because the market quickly recovered, but now we've seen all that fall apart again, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's start with what's been going on the last couple weeks. If you go back about two weeks ago, that's July 29th, during that week, we saw the market dropping off its record highs. It had just, S&P had just made a record high on, I believe, the Thursday of the prior week. That was in anticipation of the Federal Reserve cutting rates And then the week of July 29th, the Fed came out, they cut rates, but that was a classic example of buy the rumor, sell the news, where once the news is announced, it was already priced into the market and people started to sell and started to take profits. Well, that was part of the reason I believe the market went down, as well as the fact that the Federal Reserve only cut rates 25 basis points. A lot of people wanted 50. I didn't think we were going to get a 50 point basis cut. But what I think really disappointed the market was that the Federal Reserve was still talking a little bit tough. They were obviously lowering interest rates, but they weren't necessarily promising that they'd be doing it in the future. And right now, the market is pricing in two more rate cuts of about 25 basis points apiece. So all factored in, the market is looking at about a 75% basis cut to happen through the end of the year. That's what's priced in, and the Federal Reserve didn't communicate strongly enough to the market that that's what's likely to occur. Now, I don't know if that's what's going to occur, but that's what the market wants to hear, and the Federal Reserve didn't tell the market what it wanted to hear. So that, in addition to buy the rumor, sell the news, caused the market to drop and come off its record highs. Then also that week, you had Trump come out, and he announced additional tariffs on Chinese products, And this was pretty much saying that virtually everything that comes out of China is going to have a tariff on it. Well, the market didn't like that. And so by the end of the week, you saw the market drop down significantly and pretty much had support at the 50-day moving average. Then last week, so it'd be August 5th, that Monday morning, the Chinese devalued their yuan. That's their currency, the RMB. That threw the market into a tizzy. The market dropped about 3%, I believe, that day. It had gapped down well below the 50-day moving average, and by the end of the day, it had closed down below the 100-day moving average. That's the day last week that I came out and said that I did look at this as a buying opportunity. I thought that we were seeing more, you know, knee-jerk headline reactions. There was a lot of algorithmic selling. But while I thought it was a buying opportunity, I was personally waiting until it went lower. Well, that looked wrong over the next couple days because... For the next three days, the market went pretty much straight up and by Thursday had closed well above the 50-day moving average. And only being about 
3% off an all-time record high. Then this week, on Monday, August 12th, the panic sets in again. The protesters in Hong Kong shut down the Hong Kong airport. Everyone is now worried about something like Tiananmen Square happening all over again. And incidentally, this is nothing new going on over there. Uh, although it was the first time that anybody had ever protested to shut down the airport, these protests in Hong Kong against the Chinese regime, they've been going on for like three months now. So for anybody that's been paying attention, we knew that this has been escalating and could be a potential problem. But of course, the media played it all up on Monday. Since most people don't pay attention to the news, they had no idea what was going on. The markets dropped. They dropped down below the 100-day moving average. But then on Tuesday, even though the protests were continuing and even though the airport was still shut down in Hong Kong, magically, and like Forrest Gump would say, and just like that, it seemed like everybody forgot about the protests. Trump came out, said that he was not going to impose tariffs on all the Chinese products, that he'd postponed some of them. So that happy talk drove the market to once again bounce back up and magically close right around the 50-day moving average. And then again, in a Forrest Gump manner, just like that, today, all Hades breaks out. The Germans announced that they're having a slowing or a shrinking of their GDP. They're likely going to go into a recession. That causes panic that the trade war between the U.S. and China is now having a contagion and it's spreading to Europe. The algorithms take over. People seek safety in the U.S. dollar and in the U.S. treasuries. So that means that money from not only the United States, but also foreign money, starts piling back into the United States Treasury in the form of buying U.S. Treasuries. As a result, the 10-year Treasury drops down below 1.6. That's below the yield being paid on the two-year Treasury. Now we have an inverted yield curve and all the chicken little panic sets in and we see the market drop 3%. And that 3% drop in the market today took us back to the lows that we saw last week. Now, the market actually didn't get as low as the interday price from last Monday, but it did close down below that level. And so right now, we see the S&P 500 at about 2840. So the million-dollar question is, should you panic or should you see this as a buying opportunity? Well, number one, I wouldn't panic. Not yet. And again, I'm going to get into those reasons why. But before I get into those issues, I also want to point out that tomorrow or on Friday, we could also see this market bounce up 1, 2, 3%. I mean, it could totally wipe out this week's losses, just like we saw happen last week. So was today a good buying opportunity, or should you wait a few days? I can't predict the future. First of all, as far as Trump's policies and Trump's tweets, as I've stated for, I don't know, two years now, maybe longer, we have no idea what is going to come out of the White House on any given day. It could be happy news. It could be sad news. My consensus or my overall thesis is that you can pretty much ignore whatever he says. Because, like I say, one day he'll say no. The next day he says yes. It's going to create volatility short term. But I think in the long term it's relatively meaningless. So I'd ignore it. I'd treat it like static. Let the algorithms, let the headline chasers do whatever they're going to do with it. But I think things are happening too quickly and with too much volatility for people like you and I to really profit from it. 
So just ignore it. It's static, it's noise, it's something we shouldn't care about. So as far as Trump and the White House and the Senate and the Congress and politicians in general, they're going to do what they're going to do. And really where we want to put our focus is on the people that have the real power, and that's the Federal Reserve. That takes us to the other event that's been going on not only this week, but for years now, and it's the Federal Reserve policy. Will they or won't they raise interest rates? And how does that monetary policy affect the yield curve? And should you care? Well, in terms of the yield curve, you shouldn't care. It's irrelevant. You know, today, all over the news, the headlines were that we had an inverted yield curve. And for those of you that have been paying attention, you know that we've had an inverted yield curve for months. The media early on jumped onto the fact that the 10-year rates had been lower than the three-month rates. Well, that's pretty insignificant. However, it's all the media had to talk about, and so they kept hammering and hammering away at the inverted yield curve. When in fact, today is really the first time we've had the big inverted yield curve, which occurs when the 10-year yield is lower than the two-year yield. You can forget about the three-month and the 10-year. It's pretty insignificant. That's way too short-term and way too long-term. But when you start talking about the yield on the two-year and the yield on the 10-year, that's a more reliable predictor of a recession, and that's when an inverted yield curve can be of significance. I say can be of significance, not that it must be of significance. The last time this happened was in December of 2005. Well, the Great Recession didn't occur until 2008, and you can argue when the market totally fell apart, but for the most part, it was from about June of 2008 until it finally bottomed out in March of 2009. And so, yes, the inverted yield curve of 2005 was a harbinger and was predictive of a coming recession, but it was still a couple years away from the stock market falling apart. So just because you have an inverted yield curve doesn't mean number one, that you're going to get a recession, nor number two, that the market's necessarily going to plummet. Now, the other thing to consider here with the Fed policy is that that is where the power lies. You can forget about what the president says or the speaker of the house. The people that hold the power are the Federal Reserve. There's an old Wall Street adage that says, don't fight the Fed. You can discount a lot of old Wall Street sayings, but that's one that you want to pay attention to. And it's Federal Reserve policy that's tripping everybody up now, and it's been tripping people up for, I'd say, at least five years, if not longer. Because we have no idea how the Federal Reserve, nor any other of the central banks, are going to be able to unwind the unconventional quantitative easing and other policies that they implemented since the Great Recession of 2008. We just don't know how it's all going to work out because we don't know what they're going to do and we don't know if what they do is going to be effective. And therein lies the problem. We don't know to what degree the Federal Reserve and the global central banks can successfully control the economy. We know they'll try and we know up till now they've done a pretty good job of kicking the can down the road. Now there's a very good likelihood that this is all going to end badly. But we don't know when that's going to happen, and personally, I don't think it's going to happen in the immediate future. I also don't trust anything that the central banks say. You can think back a couple years ago, where I think it was on a Thursday, 
a representative of the Swiss National Bank came out and said that they weren't going to do anything with their currency policy and they were going to keep the Swiss franc linked to the euro. That was like on a Thursday. Well, well on Monday, they came out and they delinked the currency. I think at that time, the, uh, the Swiss franc dropped like 30% just instantly. You can't trust these guys. That's why we call them banksters. In any case, the bottom line is one day, and I don't know if this will be in September or December or when it's going to come, but one day we'll wake up and the Federal Reserve will cut interest rates another 25 or 50 or 75 basis points, whatever it takes. They'll cut rates and that will drive the short-term two-year and three-month Treasury yield down significantly, maybe down to 1%, half a percent, or a quarter of a percent. I, I don't know where they're going to drive it to. But their policy decision will bring down the short-term yields. That in and of itself will cause a steepening of the yield curve. And so the economy will move along just fine. Investors will be willing to take on more risk. And so they'll move out of 10-year treasuries and move back into the stock market. That'll not only bring up prices of stocks, but it will also drive up the yield on the 10- and 30-year treasury which by definition will further steepen the yield curve. So the yield curve is going to take care of itself. It's man-made. It's nothing that can't be changed by policy. It's not an existential threat. It's something that I think we can consider noise, just like the static we hear from the politicians. Now, again, I'm not downplaying the role of the Federal Reserve or the central banks. I'm simply downplaying the importance of the yield curve. And so as far as the central banks, and in particular the Federal Reserve, I think they still have plenty of ammunition, and that means whether it's lowering interest rates, going to zero interest rates, going to negative interest rates, or doing more quantitative easing, where they not only buy government debt and private mortgages, but the U.S. Federal Reserve can follow in the path of the Bank of Japan and the European Bank and start buying corporate debt if they have to, and if necessary, even printing money to purchase individual stocks. Now, am I saying I like that? Am I saying from an ideological standpoint, I'm happy about that? No, but I don't invest from an emotional or an ideological standpoint. I invest to earn a profit. Now, speaking of central banks, that takes us to the next topic, and that's devaluation of the Chinese currency. For now, I'm not worried about it. In fact, devaluation of currency is a myth. This thing about Trump calling China a currency manipulator, of course they're a currency manipulator. All governments are currency manipulators. China is manipulating their currency, but they're not manipulating their currency down like Trump is accusing them of. They're manipulating their currency up. And you're saying, what, John, you're crazy. They just devalued 2% last week. Yeah, they devalued 2% last week not because they were taking it down, but because they're just trying to keep it up. And that's probably all the foreign reserves that they had to sell to support it. The Chinese currency should be way lower than it is right now. Maybe reduced by, I don't know, 50%, 75%, 90%. And I know some of you are saying, what, well, John, you're crazy. No, think about it. I say that the Chinese currency is overvalued, not undervalued and that they're manipulating their currency to keep it up, not to let it go down. And the way I can make that point is to just look at the Chinese economy. It's a closed system. They have capital controls 
on how much money you can take out of China. The Chinese yuan does not trade and float freely universally across global markets. China doesn't want the yuan coming out of China because if they did, if they didn't control it, vast amounts of money would leave. That's why you have money sneaking out of China and it's buying real estate in Australia and cities like Toronto and Vancouver. That, that's why you've seen these astronomical real estate prices in any of the markets where Chinese people could get their money out of China and invest in foreign assets. That's personally why I think you're seeing an increase lately here of not only gold, but also Bitcoin. And I did a YouTube video about that, I think back in January or February. Rich people in China are doing everything they can to get their money out. That shows that the currency is overvalued, not undervalued. The other thing about the myth of currency devaluation is, is ridiculous. That only works on a global trade basis if you're an extracting economy. If you're an economy that is self-sufficient in producing your raw materials, then you can lower the value of your currency to give you a competitive price advantage when you export your, your products to other countries. But China isn't self-sufficient in raw materials or in technology. So if they devalue their currency, say 10%, that just means that they've got to pay 10% more to buy iron ore from Australia or to buy coal from West Virginia or to buy oil from Saudi Arabia or for that matter, to buy technology from Microsoft. They're not self-sufficient in any of these other areas. And so, yes, lowering the currency price does give them a better export advantage, but it kills them when they import products and China is a huge importer of raw materials and technology. So no, I'm not worried about a Chinese currency devaluation, but I'll tell you what I am worried about. I'm worried about a Chinese currency crisis. There's a big difference. I don't have time to go into all that right now, but at some point when the markets do wanna acknowledge the fact that the Chinese currency is overvalued and that it's maybe only worth half or 10% of what they're saying it's valued at, that's when China will no longer be able to support it at these higher levels. And you'll get into a currency crisis, and that could be the black swan that does throw us into a global depression. That is a real and present danger. It's something that I'm concerned about, but I don't think it's happening yet. So for now, we'll put that on the back burner. And speaking of China and back burner issues, what's going on with the protests in Hong Kong I don't know how this is going to turn out. For now, it looks like it's not going to be a major problem. But if it escalates in any way, it could cause not only short-term problems, but again, this could be a black swan event that has an impact throughout the global economy. And you just think of this in terms of the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union literally fell apart overnight when the people in the Soviet bloc countries stopped fearing the regime. The Chinese Communist Party knows that. They're going to do whatever they can to stay in power. This is a clear and present danger in terms of geopolitics. For now, we're probably okay, but it is definitely something we want to watch and could be a harbinger of bad things in the future. That takes us to the other event that happened this week, and that's the German economy slowing down, possibly going into recession. I'm going long here, so I don't want to get into all the details, but bottom line is the German economy is being affected by two factors. The trade war between the Chinese and the U.S. is causing a slowdown in China, not only in terms of the economy, but also in terms of capital investment there. 
and the Germans are big exporters into China of not only large ticket consumer items like you know, BMWs and Mercedes, but also producer products like manufacturing equipment and industrial equipment. Germany is the fourth largest global economy. They're the largest economy in Europe that could create a domino knock-on effect all through Europe. And Europe is incredibly unstable from not only an economic standpoint, but also from a citizen protest and a geopolitical standpoint. Now, again, I don't think this is going to fall apart overnight. I'm not worrying about it today, but this is something that's on my radar. It's something that I have on the back burner. I do look to Europe to most likely have more problems going forward than China or Asia in general. I think it's probably most likely that the black swan event will come out of Europe and it'll be some kind of a collapse or a substantial breakdown in either the European Union globally or specifically with the euro as a currency. You know, a lot of this instability is also being precipitated with the Brexit. They're separate issues, but they're converging into the problem of the euro and the European Union having an existential threat to their existence. And that's directly tied to the global economy. In fact, if you go back to the summer of 2016, when we unexpectedly had that Brexit vote, you'll find that that was the last time that the yield on U.S. 10-year treasuries was as low as we are now, and when the price of silver was also as high as we are right now. The bottom line on this and all those events and issues that I just covered, many of them can be critical issues that we want to keep our eye on. They could turn into major black swan events. But overall, I'm viewing these as buying opportunities and not a time to panic. Now, having said that, as you know with the blog post that I put out last week, I'm not buying yet because I think these markets could still go lower. Now, again, I don't know. There could be happy talk tomorrow or on Friday. The markets could go up. But really, I do think that there's enough panic that they could go lower. And I think that investor sentiment hasn't got negative enough, nor has the VIX got high enough that we've put in a bottom. That's why I said I was waiting until the S&P 500 hit somewhere around either at or below its 200-day moving average. I still think that today. In fact, I think it more strongly this week than I did last week. And I use this as a, as a benchmark when I say it's good to buy the S&P 500. At that point, pretty much everything is on sale. You could buy the S&P 500. You could buy emerging markets. You could buy technology, healthcare. At that point, it's all on sale. It doesn't mean that we couldn't get irrational selling like we saw uh, in December of this past year. But I think if the S&P 500 moves a little bit lower, it's about 3% from where we closed today, I think it's very likely that we could see the S&P 500 drop below 2,800 and probably hold somewhere with a floor above the high end of the 2,600s. So again, you know, who knows? 2,720, 2,790, I don't know where that point is. But that range would put the S&P 500 at a number of key levels. Number one, it would put it just at or just below the 200-day moving average. It would also put us back to test the lows that we saw that took place on June 3rd and in March. I believe it was either March 6th or March 8th. On both those instances, we saw the S&P 500 drop down to right around 27.22. And again, in both of those cases, in March and in June, it not only hit the level of about 27.22, but that was also where the corresponding 200-day moving average was for that time period. And so today, when we look at the S&P 500 and its 200-day moving average, 
That's in the range of around 27.80, 27.90. I think it could easily drop down and either get support or maybe even drop below that 200-day moving average. And so that's why I think that we could see it drop all the way down into the low 2700s. And the other thing that's important to remember is that in this range, let's call it 27.50, looking forward, and that's what we want to do, you know, the, the market is always a, a forward-looking mechanism. If you look to where corporate profits are going to be at the end of 2020, and you put a fair historical valuation on that of, say, 16 times earnings, that's going to give you a very good entry point based on future valuations, and in particular, when you consider just how low overall interest rates are and what impact that has had on driving valuations up to be at 17, 18, or even 19 or 20 times earnings. And so again, when I look forward at the S&P 500, I see it at some point not only getting back above 3,000, but hitting 31, 32, maybe even 3,300. Not tomorrow, not next week, but certainly it could be a very likely possibility in, say, the next 12 months. Well, hey, am I right or wrong? I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm simply explaining my thoughts and what I'm doing and what I plan to do in the future. Thanks for listening. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.